Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here. Happy you're listening. Well, COVID... It, it continues to amaze me because there is so much information now that's out that this is vaccine is, is doing more harm than good. And, and you still got people pushing it. You know, the, um, uh, the industry is trying to get it on the schedule for children. Uh, you've got hospital systems all over the country that are requiring their employees to take it. And, you know, it's it's it, it really boggles the mind. I, I really uh, am perplexed by this. I thought for sure, you know, I, I think this now, I mean, this is not an overstatement. I think the vaccines, the quote-unquote vaccines, which are really gene therapies, okay, let's just be clear. A normal vaccine, and I've said this before on the program, has a pathogen in it. It's usually weakened pathogen. It's usually irradiated or otherwise weakened and put into a body in the form of a vaccine. That's, that is the definition of a vaccine. And, you know, the government is constantly moving the line by, you know, changing the meaning of words in the culture. And to me, this ought to be the angle. This ought to be the angle that, that state governments take and, um, you know, federal government, I mean, if those in the federal government that are, that are willing to, uh, they should basically say, look, a vaccine, define a vaccine, and then, and then basically pass laws that say, you know, you can't force somebody to take an experimental gene therapy, even if they're in a hospital, even if they work in a hospital. And so this is where I think we need to go, but it just, it continues, you know, information, negative information about these shots continue to leak out. And there's just nothing in the mainstream media. I mean, there's very, very few people talking about anything negative in the mainstream media other than, you know, maybe Tucker Carlson. And even he's just barely scratching the surface. So today I want to, I want to cover an interview that, um, well, I'm going to cover a couple things. But the first thing I'm going to cover is an interview that Tucker Carlson does with Mar- Marty McCary, who's a, a doctor and uh, has been pretty straight down the middle on this whole COVID thing. One of the few, you know, he used to have Dr. Scott Gottlieb on, but we found out uh, through Alex Berenson's um, lawsuit of Twitter that Scott Gottlieb, uh, who's on the board of Pfizer, by the way, contacted Twitter and had Alex Berenson banned from Twitter. And of course, you know, uh, at this point, Pfizer and the government are the same thing, you know, and so... Just, you know, Scott Gottlieb is completely captured by the industry and is uh, presumably um, doing what he's doing just to line his own pockets. I mean, if he's if he's got some other ulterior motive, uh, sure would like to hear from him and, and see what that is. But uh, for him to just contact Twitter and say, look, this guy Alex Berenson's a problem. You need to remove him from Twitter. That is unbelievable. And all Alex Berenson was trying to do is put out, you know, 
peer-reviewed studies and, and alert people to the danger of these mRNA shots. And uh, I don't know, man, it is just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in our country. And it needs to come to a halt quickly, but it doesn't seem to be coming quickly enough. So I'm going to continue to talk about it. Hopefully, uh, you're not tired of hearing about it. Uh, whatever you can do individually to uh, minimize the damage of, of these shots that, that, that people are taking. I mean, for all, by all means, tell your family, your friends, you know, stop taking these things. Uh, don't, by all means, don't give them to your children. The, the, the results in children are just horrible, and we're going to visit some of that right now. I mean, I think everyone would agree you probably shouldn't recommend drugs to people if you don't know what their effects are going to be, but, you know, the horse has left the barn on that. What do you think this means going forward? Well, look, when pregnant and lactating women had concerns and they had questions, the right answer was, we don't know. Not just right. take That's it and right. stop asking questions. The, the research is catching up now. First of all, the mRNA does not stay in the muscular area. It's injected intramuscular. This research confirms it does not stay in the place where it's injected. Now, normally there are biodistribution studies that evaluate where these nanoparticles are carried in lipid carriers throughout the body and in excretions as well. But those studies were limited, they were skipped. Many of the findings that were done in the limited studies were concerning. There was no follow-up. We know this from the FOIA documents. I just want to correct one thing that Tucker said. You know, he said you probably shouldn't recommend drugs to people if you don't know what the side effects are. The, just to be clear, these weren't recommendations. These were, it, you know, you can maybe say strong recommendations, but we even went so far as, as to take something to the Supreme Court uh, for forcing, coercing people by force to take these quote-unquote vaccinations, these mRNA gene therapies. So, look, uh, yeah, these aren't recommendations. Uh, and, and I had experience with my own doctors where they said, no, you should take the vaccine. And I, and I took information to them and tried to engage them in dialogue. And then they finally said, you know, well, you know, it should be up to you if you want to take it. You know, nobody should force you to take it. But then to take issue with something Dr. McCary is talking about, there were lipid nanoparticle biodistribution studies. Pfizer did a study. The problem is the FDA didn't ask for it. The only reason we know about it now is because the Japanese government leaked it on the internet so that other governments and other people could see it. This is the only reason we know about it. Otherwise, the government would have been happy to just let Pfizer not show it to us. So, you know, there's there's a lot of problems. I mean, good for Dr. McCary going on TV and, and poking holes in some of these things. But, you know, the fact is the information... There were studies, they just weren't disseminated. So what does that do for the whole, you know, policy on informed consent? People were not informed about the risks of taking these shots. They were just bullied into doing it. And, you know, just for the record, bullying is bad, right? That's what that's what they tell us. So, you know, we we got we had big problems with this whole COVID response. The COVID response, we, we don't even know yet how bad this COVID response is going to be for our economy, for our liber or civil liberties going forward. There's, there's potentially a lot of damage that we can't even put our fingers on yet that, that this whole response uh, has created. 
Many experts I talked to are concerned about interactions with other child vaccines. Kids get a lot of vaccines before they're six months of age. And when you give a vaccine to a woman who's pregnant, it causes general body inflammation. And that's well known to be deleterious in pregnancy. General body inflammation has risks in pregnancy. That's been well studied. If a woman has some inflammation from periodontal inflammation of their right. gums, then that is associated with preterm labor. Why do we think this inflammation has no downsides? If they're already immune, what are we doing anyway? And sometimes the women have lymphadenopathy, which means they can't do engage in breastfeeding when they're trying to lactate. And I think what's interesting is the authors of this study spun it to say that the vaccine is safe among lactating women. They call them lactating individuals in the study. They studied 11 women, only looked for the mRNA 48 hours later, and then concluded that it's safe in women. You can't make that conclusion from this study. In my opinion, the editors told the authors of the paper, this is how you should conclude. I've had that experience with writing for the top medical journals. I've published hundreds of peer review articles out of Johns Hopkins, and the editors will often say, you need to write it this way, and then you're in a dilemma. Before I forget to mention it, you know, I've done a number of episodes on, on COVID-19, the response to it, um, the vaccine, how it works. Um, so I want to mention those episodes right now. So we, we did episode 5, 8, 18, 75, 100, 101, 108, 122, and 133. So go back and listen to some of those episodes. We've been talking about this now for a long time. And uh, in one of those early episodes, might have been 18, I spent a fair amount of time explaining how the vaccine works. And Dr. McCary is talking about that here. It doesn't stay in your arm. A traditional vaccine generally stays in your muscular tissue. And then your, your body uh, makes an immune response from that area and circulates it through your body. What, what they found in these biodistribution studies, and one of the reasons I started sounding alarms about this early, is because these lipid nanoparticles were biodistributing and ending up in organ tissue in other places in the body. And the way, the way the lipid nanoparticle would work is it would, it would enter the cell wall of whatever tissue it, it expressed itself on. And then, and it would fuse through the cell wall and then open up its little message messenger and then create a spike protein, which is then expressed in the cell, in that actual cell. Well, when I read this, I, I thought, well, this sounds like autoimmune disease to me. I mean, you know, from now on, you have your body has cells on it that have spike protein. And of course, your body's trying to attack those spike proteins. So if those spike proteins have to be in your liver, well, then your body's attacking your liver. If the body, if the, um, if, if the spike proteins happen to be on your ovaries, well, then the, you know, your body's attacking your ovaries. And what these with these spike proteins, they uh, if you have a lot of what they call ACE2 receptors, there's certain tissue that has a higher concentration of ACE2 receptors than other tissue. But the presence of ACE2 receptors helps the spike protein express itself in that tissue easier. So to me, when I read this, I thought, well, I don't want autoimmune. I mean, how would you like to live for 30 years if you could live that long, I don't even know if you can live that long with autoimmune disorder. 
But but just I mean, can you imagine how debilitating that would be, and how expensive it would be? You know, now you're having to go buy medical care from this expensive, ridiculous medical system, uh, all because you took a, a, a quote unquote vaccine, which was actually an experimental gene therapy. I mean, this is this is bad on a level that is hard to even you know express. Okay. We, it, was, it was more than 100 years since the last pandemic. These people are already talking about the next pandemic that they say is going to happen within 10 years. Why? Why all of a sudden is the frequency of pandemics happening more often? That, you know, that's, that's a question we need to be asking. I mean, these people have got government and some people... Some of the useful idiots so freaked out, they think there's another pandemic coming. And the last pandemic was 100 years ago. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I think there's something up that's, that's, I mean, I don't have any evidence of this, but it just seems curious that the government seems so committed to this. And, uh, and it's so potentially damaging. Um, so, yeah, you know, Go back and listen to some of these other episodes. We talk about some of these things in detail. And we talk about Fauci. We talk about Dr. Birch. We talk about Francis Collins. We talk about all these people. And by the way, you should go see the movie, The Real Anthony Fauci. If you could, if you type into your internet browser, The Real Anthony Fauci movie, I think you can watch it free for some limited period of time. There's two parts to it. Highly recommend it. You will never look at the medical care system the same way. Big Pharma, all this stuff. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci's a horrible person. Bill Gates, horrible person. These people have been exposed, and now we just need everybody to spread it around. Do you use the profile of the journal to publish the study, or do you retract it over a dispute because a couple editors have a lot of power and control? Uh, the FBI seems to be showing up at the homes of a lot of different people recently. Will anyone ever be ha- held accountable for this? I mean, the, it seems like some of these risks were known. You just said inflammation is a well-known risk for children in utero. Will anyone be held accountable? Yeah, a, little, a lot of humility would have gone a long way in just being yeah. honest with people about what we don't know. Damn, it's so distressing. I kind of messed up the clip here a little bit, but this is a the very first part of this clip is left over from the earlier clip. And one of the things I wanted to mention about that, I'm, I'm, get, I'm glad I kind of messed it up, but, it's, you know, a lot of the research, this is kind of what I was talking about uh, in, our, in our segment on fiat money and honest money. Um, you know, a lot of this money is, is government money that's, that's easy to come by, okay? And something like 90 plus percent of all research is government funded research. And, you know, he's talking about that. He's talking about the struggle as a doctor. You know, the editor wants you to write it a certain way. And, and you can't be fully honest. And this is, this is kind of what I was talking about with, with fiat money. Is it, is it just, it taints everything. It just, it, it poisons, you know, legitimate and thoughtful conversation. Because uh, it's political. The money is political. And therefore, the, the conversation about whatever it is, about whatever the research is. This is why climate change 
research is so bogus is because it's just government funded. Whether it's the UN or it's the United States of America, it's government funded research. And so if you want a research grant, guess what? Do something on global warming and show that, uh, you know, the cause is man-made and you'll get money from your research grant. Now, the second thing he talks about, I think is really important. And I think it's maybe one of the biggest problems in our society in general, not just in the medical industry, but I see this in the, the banking and the finance industry is just a lack of humility, just a lack of, uh, you know, the ability to say, we don't know. You know, you just have people in government that just don't want to say that. What they want to do is they want to, they want to kind of tilt the scales or put their thumb on the scale for a particular way that benefits them. And you just don't have people who can be honest and say, you know what, we just don't really know what's going to happen. Just like on this experimental vaccine, quote unquote vaccine, which is really gene therapy, you know, we really could have used a lot of people that just said, you know what, we don't know what the risks are going to be. And then they could have been honest about uh, the number of people that died in the initial trials. The, the, what was it? 1,460 something died in the, in the initial three month trial. And then there were, uh, uh, I forgot what the number was there that were injured, but it was, it was like 40,000 or something. It was a huge number. Um, and, and, you know, we just don't have any humility. People believe so deeply in things like technology and our ability to, you know, understand the way the human body works that, that when we're confronted with something where we, it's really on the edge of what we know, we're just afraid to say we don't know. And I think that's a huge problem in our society and I see evidence of it everywhere. All right, we're going to switch gears now to a, uh, a press conference given by a, a UK doctor. And and I, I, you've heard me mention before, but we're having to go look in places like the UK and Denmark and places like that for data because our data sets here in the US are so compromised. And this UK doctor is, is having a press conference and he's giving his opinion about basically the COVID response. So let's take a listen. The science is settled. There's an overwhelming consensus that nothing worked. Nothing could work, nothing did work, and nothing will work. That includes the vaccinations, which are not just unnecessary, experimental, untested, and are actually killing people. Wow. I mean, right out of the gate, this is a very powerful statement. He's saying, I love how he uses their term, the science is settled. You know, he's basically saying the vaccines don't work. Nothing could work that they did. Nothing will work, including the vaccines, which don't work, uh, are unnecessary, and are killing people, he says. I mean, this is a very powerful statement. One of the things you see out of these doctors, these ones that are most outspoken, except for maybe Ryan Cole, is they're all older. You know, they're at the end of their careers. they got nothing to lose. They're like, I'm not going to let my legacy be that I went along with this and killed a bunch of people. They're just not going to do it. And thank God that some, that some people are toward the end of their career and are taking a stand. You know, they're, they're, they're making a stand. They're saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down with this. Uh, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to do what's right. 
Thank God for those people. I want to take this moment to point a finger directly at the principal cause of why we're all here today. And it's not the government. No, it's us physicians who have been intimidated by our colleges, both provincially and internationally. If physicians had not been intimidated by the very body that is supposed to protect you from me, if they'd been allowed to speak their mind without the threat of losing their income and their positions, then an individual patient, such as you and me, in a closed examining room, would have been told the truth. The truth. They have been denied that ability to do that. See, I think it is the government, but at least this guy is pointing the finger at the doctors. And, and I was, look, I've been mad at the doctors. I tried to go to the doctor and get an exemption. But you know, at the end of the day, they were faced with losing their income. Uh, they have to give a reason. And if that reason's not valid or if it's not considered valid by somebody else, you know, they could get fired. They lose their income. So I understand that. But he's, he's basically saying, we own that. That's us, the doctors. You know, we took an oath uh, to, to serve our patients and their health. And all there should be is in an examining room, there should be the doctor and there should be the patient. And whatever is decided between those two individuals, that's what, that's what you end up with. All these other factors should not even been of any consideration. If I wanted an exemption, I should have had no problem getting that from my doctor. And I went to two different doctors and couldn't, not, excuse me, I went to three. I went to two general practitioner doctors, and I went to my cardiologist. None of them would write me an exemption, not one. And, you know, this is, this is the problem, you know. I mean, if, if I don't want to put something in my body, I mean, is it, I mean, who else, who else could protect me from that other than my doctor? He's the only one with the authority that could write something on a piece of paper that protects me from my employer or, uh, you know, somebody that's trying to require me to do something. Uh, if it's my, if it's my child, it could be the school. The school might be trying to require me to do something for my child. The doctor can intervene there, but that was all taken away from us. We have had that for centuries. The two principal medical ethics have been trampled on by this government. First do no harm and informed consent. First do no harm has been trampled on. The mandates have killed, as we've heard, more people, many more people than, than they've saved. But informed consent, I would put it to you, how can you give informed consent if you are not informed? And you have been denied information intentionally by the colleges that are supposed to protect you. So I say this, putting a point on it, the colleges of physicians and surgeons across this country and internationally are co-conspirators with government in state-sanctioned murder. That is a radical and bold statement, but very necessary, man. I just, people, I, I talk to people all the time about this, and I cannot believe how blasé and uncommittal people are about this subject. I mean, we need to be bold like this doctor. He called it straight out. He looked at physicians and colleges and institutions in this country and around the world participated in state-sanctioned murder. Look, I, I, I feel very confident that 
Some number of years from now, when the history books write about this situation, that's exactly what they're going to say. That's exactly what they're going to say. And people are going to go, how did that happen? How in the world did a, a modern society with intelligent people in it, how did that happen to them? Hell, we say the same thing about the Germans and the Holocaust today. We scratch our heads and we wonder, how did Germany let that happen? How did Germany let that happen? You hear it all the time. Well, the history books are going to say the same thing about us and this COVID debacle, disaster. They're going to go, how did a group of a, such a large group of people in a very modern society with information at their fingertips allow this to happen? And you know what? There's not a good answer for it. The answer is, well, there were a lot of people that were connected to government through their jobs, through their income, through their research grants, through the pharma industry, through the regulatory arm. They were all connected to government. Government had an easy money spigot and was throwing that money around everywhere and basically bribed the entire society into doing this crazy thing that we did. That's, that's, that's what the history books are going to say. I'm pretty confident of it. All right, we're going to switch gears one more time, and we're going to go to Dr. Asim Malhotra, and he talks about trials data. Uh, he's talking about vaccine trial data. And I thought this was interesting, too. There's a lot of interesting short interviews out there. Uh, well, they're short because I've shortened them. Um, but they're out there. And people in other countries, I'm telling you, that's where the data's at. That's where the data tells us that this was a huge mistake. So let's listen to Dr. Asim Maholtra. Maholtra. And the Pfizer and Moderna jab. Because if you listen to most of the folk behind Oxford AstraZeneca, they don't believe in these constant booster rollouts to the whole population. Yeah, it's interesting. The AstraZeneca one, you're right. Um, I mean, Pfizer have made $37 billion from mm -hmm. this product, which is extraordinary. And Do you think <laughs> it, that it saved enough lives to justify the rollout in the first place? It's a great question. And we don't fully know the answer to that. And that's why we need the raw data, mm -hmm. because that will give us more definitive answers of yeah. what Pfizer knew at the time yeah. it was rolled out. But, Dan, what I would say is, even if it had an effect early on with the, the most mm -hmm. serious ancestral strain of the virus, the Wuhan strain, which mm -hmm. was devastating, yeah. I've managed yeah, people yeah, with yeah, long yeah. COVID, no, what's circulating now, Dan, is essentially no worse than the flu. It's so a, we it's shouldn't, a if your, a your pause, opinion is yeah. that we shouldn't, take up this role. If, if you're young and healthy, you shouldn't take up, because I got my text yeah. the, the other, yeah. the other so day. So did I. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be so doing it. So did I. But, I'm not But it was it. very strongly but, worded yeah. that I should go and get my booster. There needs to be a proper informed discussion with patients. But what I would say is we need to ask people like Chris Whitty and the MHRA why, when we've got a serious adverse mm. event rate, which is probably in the range of at least 1 in 800 to 1 mm. in 1,000 from good quality data, why is it not being pulled when other vaccines, swine flu vaccine 1976 was pulled because it caused mm. Guillain-Barre syndrome in one in 100,000? Rotavirus vaccine was pulled in 1999 because it caused a form of bowel obstruction in one in 10,000. We're talking yeah. of serious adverse events of one in 800. When you look at how many of these shots were given, one in 800 is a huge number. I mean, you're gonna see a lot of people with adverse events um, 
from from these jabs. And I thought it was interesting. He mentioned earlier that you know you don't see AstraZeneca, you know, promoting these boosters. You know, booster number one, booster number two, and so on and so forth, like Pfizer and Moderna are. And so this is another thing that I that I'm hoping the rest of the world will come to the rescue of the United States because we've somehow lost our minds and uh, or have been so captured by Pfizer and Moderna through the Gates Foundation and Dr. Fauci and the NIH that that we're just going to have boosters forever. I mean, you know, other than the flu vaccine, which actually has some of the pathogen in it, what other vaccine do you take? And they don't even call that a, a vaccine, by the way. They just call it the flu shot. But what other shot are you taking every year to prevent something? I mean, there's a lot of adverse events and eventually, you know, this 1-800, okay, maybe you're a lucky one. You're one of the lucky 799. But if you have to take this thing every year, eventually it's going to catch up with you. This associate editor of BMJ, Peter Doshi, Robert Kaplan from Stanford, Joseph Freeman, who's a lead author, I've also spoke to about this, and I'll tell you what he told me. Um, what they found, they went back into the FDA's website, Health Canada website, and were able to look at reports, you know, available information, looking at serious adverse events. And what they found in the original trials where everything is corrected and supposed to be the gold standard, you know, in terms of age and risk factors and everything, right, to look at where benefit of an intervention, they found the risk of serious adverse events that were reported in people in the vaccine group was significantly higher than the risk of people being hospitalized with COVID. This was the original, and this is Pfizer and Moderna trials combined. Now think about this for a second. It was these trials alone before we had any other data that led to the approval and rollout of the vaccine, not just a rollout, coercion, mandates, people being threatened with their jobs. My cousin in America, civil, a civil engineer, was essentially told, unless you have a booster, you may probably lose your job. Okay? This is just unbelievable. If this is true, and it's likely true, this is what the evidence is telling us, what's going on here? Yeah, you know, what's going on here? Because he says if this is true, you know, what's going on here? And I think the answer is money. Money. There was a lot of people that stood to make a lot of money. Now, if it's not money, then you just got some group out there who's behind all this, whether it be the Gates Foundation or whoever. If it's not about money then it's got to be about, you know, thinning the herd, so to speak. I mean, think about what he said. He said the original trials, these are the trials that were used to justify the production, the mass production of the mRNA vaccine, the mRNA, the mRNA gene therapy, okay? What, what these trials showed is the risk of adverse events was significantly higher than that of people that had COVID and were hospitalized. Now think about that. That means they jabbed people with this mRNA gene therapy that were perfectly healthy. And, and those people that got jabbed took more risk. They were, they were, their risk was exceeding, exceedingly higher than the risk of those same people or 
different human beings being in the hospital with COVID, being hospitalized with COVID. Now, that's extraordinary because, you know, if you think about it, even out of all the people that had COVID, a very few of them were hospitalized on a percentage basis. And this, this is saying that this, this risk, uh, the risk of somebody giving somebody perfectly healthy this gene therapy was more risky than somebody being hospitalized with COVID. And this was the thing they were telling you that would keep you from getting COVID. We, it, maybe it kept you from getting COVID, but you started having neurological disorders and shaking episodes, or you had myocarditis, or you had unbelievable autoimmune issues with your skin and your face. I've seen people on the internet with their faces just completely, it just it looks like it was burned. You know, massive problems, you know, that people experienced in this adverse events group. And the VAERS database, this is the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. You know, there's there's all kinds of historical data they have on this, but apparently this thing is underreported by 90%. So whatever the VAERS database says, you can multiply that by, you know, just multiply it by 10, you know. And there were something like, um, well, there's something like 30,000 to to um, 30,000 to 60,000 adverse events reported, which means, and this was early on, I don't know what the new data is, but early on, that means that, that the actual adverse events could have been closer to a million. That's extraordinary for something that they just, I mean, they just force fed this thing into the market. And if you don't think this is a market intervention, I mean, you know, we've talked about market interventions before. This is a huge market intervention. I personally know people that work in the healthcare industry that did not want to take it and went ahead and took it because they were single moms. They were the only breadwinner. They just didn't have a choice. I mean, can you imagine? Just unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff like that. All right. Well, that's about it for the show today. I, uh, I've got a short little clip that I like to close with, something quippy and kind of in your face, and then uh, you uh, keep showing up to listen, and I'll be back here tomorrow to do another program. The colleges of physicians and surgeons across this country and internationally are co-conspirators with government in state-sanctioned murder. (laughs) 